The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's now eight minutes past eight, and uh, if you'd like to join us for this conversation, all you have to do is send an SMS to 34701, 34701 at 2RAND per SMS, and we are available on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at AMLive on SFM. That's one word, at AMLive on SFM. And uh, our email address, that's AMLive at SABC.co.za. This morning, we look at the Marikana Miners' legal fees crisis. The team of lawyers representing the victims at the Commission have received no funds from the Legal Aid Board or from the state since the Commission started in October last year. Government does not does does foot the builder for the legal team representing the police. Now, mine workers have had to resort to the courts to persuade the state to pay for the independent legal representation at the Farnham. Commission of Inquiry that uh, Constitutional Court uh, has dismissed the miners' application to force government to pay their legal costs has not helped the miners. Uh, Either the fact that the mine workers' legal team might have to withdraw if it does not get funding is causing enormous stress to the victims. In fact, uh, that case is still pending. So, uh, apologies for that correction of that. As we said, judgment still pending in the High Court. The High Court in Pretoria will decide tomorrow, Thursday, and whether or not the state should fund the legal representation. Now, we're on the line to Benita Mayersfeld. She's an Associate Professor and Director at the Centre for Applied Legal Studies at Witts Law School. She also represents the South African Human Rights Commission. A very good morning to you, and thank you very much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Lawson Naidu, Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, CASAC. A very good morning, and thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Good morning. We did invite uh, the legal representatives of the miners and uh, some of those representing the family. Unfortunately, they are unable to speak to us, obviously, as I mentioned, because uh, the court is yet to pass down judgment on the matter. But perhaps to just lay down uh, what is at stake here, we uh, let me ask you, Professor Maysfeld, the issue of funding and how it arises on what basis do the legal representatives believe that they ought to be funded by the state in order to make representation to the commission? Well, the argument of the um, representatives of the injured um, minors and, and the families who are affected by the killings at Marikana has been doing an enormous amount of work over the last year to bring these stories to the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, uh, chaired by Judge Farlam. And money's running out and money's becoming tight. And the reality is that in order to continue with their representation, the legal representatives are going to have to find some source of money. I think the, there's a legal issue and then there's a principle of fairness and equity. And the principle of fairness and equity is merging with a, a legal issue here, which is, very simply, does the state have an obligation to fund uh, all parties before a commission of inquiry irrespective of um, the, the subject matter, and the Constitutional Court made it very clear that uh, this, is, this is part of the issue that's going to be put to the High Court, but that as far as the actual legal right is concerned, it does not exist um, as a matter of right. It may well exist as a matter of practicality and a matter of fairness. Now, when you say whether or not the state is obligated, according to the Bill of Rights, it explicitly entitles uh, someone to claim legal representative or representation at state expenses under three different provisions. Could you just go through those with us? Well, the most important is um, when there is a, 
uh, when the person is involved in a criminal justice matter. And that's your traditional standard situation. There's a right that if you are forced, if you're compelled to be brought before a commission, uh, before a court of law, then the state has an obligation to fund your legal representation. So, so that's the most important, right? Um, the, the other is, is if you're a child or if you have other de- uh, dependents, um, you are then, or if you're in a position where you are dependent on the state and you're compelled to be before a court of law, you then have the right and the state has a corresponding obligation to fund that legal representation. In this case, at the Commission of Inquiry, which is not a court of law, it's, a, it's what we would call a quasi-judicial body. What do I mean by that? It's an alternative forum to interrogate what happened, both factually, but also what are the systemic issues that led to the event. And in that situation, a commission of inquiry's ultimate objective is to pursue truth. And in such situations, there is no right and no, and therefore no corresponding legal obligation to provide any of the parties with funding. The, the discomfort at this point, though, is that the state is, of course, providing funding through various um, state coffers to the South African police services for, uh, for their representation. Now, Mr. Naidu, obviously it's by no accident that it is a judicial commission of inquiry. So what do we mean by that and how does it relate to its powers and the interpretation of whether or not the state is uh, obliged to provide some level of support if this judicial commission of inquiry is to meet its terms of reference? Thanks, Sophie. Uh, I think it's worth uh, you know, taking a step back and just reminding, us of the, reminding ourselves of what we're actually talking about here. Uh, you know, we had the recent commemoration on Friday of the uh, first anniversary of the tragic events at Marikana last year. So the, the country is well aware, has been recently reminded of the horrors of that, of that occasion. And the, the Commission of Inquiry was therefore set up by the President to investigate and, as Benito says, to uncover the truth of what happened on that, on that tragic day. And we are now talking about uh, over 250 minors who were on the copy on that day. They were therefore material witnesses to what occurred. Some were injured on that day. And as we will also recall, uh, they were also subsequently arrested and bizarrely charged with the murder of their fellow workers by the NPA. We'll remember that uh, just uh, in, uh, I think it was in October last year, that they faced these charges. And as a result of the outrage from society, the NPA were forced to review their decision and, and to, uh, to revoke it temporarily. But these workers still have those criminal charges hanging over them. Those charges can be reinstated by the NPA if they choose to do so. Yet, on the other hand, we have no police officers that have yet been, uh, yet been charged with any of the, uh, the, the murders that took place on that day. Judge Fallon needs to hear all of the parties in order to arrive at the truth to try and uncover exactly what it is that led to, those, uh, to, to, to the massacre on that day. The government has instituted the commission, and therefore surely, in order to enable Judge Fallon to execute his mandate, the responsibility lies on government to make the funds available to enable him to do his job. To appoint a commission of inquiry and then to to ask the Commission to, to, do its, to do its job with its hands tied, tied behind its back is it, not going to lead to a result that, uh, that, uh, that South Africa requires. Uh, some of the statutes that govern how the regulations, how the Commission shall do its work is uh, uh, the Commissions Act, that, uh, the 1947 Commissions Act, but uh, parts of the Constitution as well. Now, um, 
the professor spoke about the issue of equity and fairness, but inclusivity is part of it. Can the commission do its work properly if it does not hear evidence and corroborate that evidence with all interested or affected stakeholders? I think that the, the, the credibility of the, of the inquiry, the credibility of any of its findings, will be tainted uh, if all the parties are not represented and if all parties do not have an adequate opportunity to present their uh, evidence to Judge Follum to enable him to take all factors into account in reaching his conclusions and in any recommendations he may, he may make. So I think this is a critical issue as far as the, uh, the integrity and the credibility of the process is concerned. We're a year down the line, and yet we're still uh, nowhere near opposed to, to, to reach, uh, receiving a report on what happened on that day. And we need to, to, um, to find a solution to this so that the Commission can, can expedite its work and come up with findings can, that can enable us as, as a, a country to, to take the appropriate action against those who were irresponsible on that day and, and, and to begin to move on. Professor Mayersfeld, uh, just looking at uh, Section 34, just with regards to access of the courts, as you mentioned, that there is a difference, but really in conjunction with Section 9 on equality of the Constitution, is there any loophole there that can be argued that in order to fulfill the one, one has to apply? Yeah, I think maybe you should be involved in the representation <laughs> at the High Court tomorrow. You, you're asking absolutely the right question, and I, I think what Lawson has been saying is absolutely confirmed by what the Constitutional Court has said about this matter, because as you, as, aware, are you, as you are aware, uh, the legal representatives did in fact take this issue to the Constitutional Court to ask the Court to make a decision on it. And while the Court said that it wasn't able to make a decision on whether there's a legal um, on this particular matter, it was very, very clear in giving a message to the President along the lines of precisely what Lawson has said, namely, if you are going to create a forum to interrogate the events and understand what has happened, it becomes a nonsense in practice and a violation of the principle of fairness to, to create such an entity without the necessary resources and structural um, principles of fairness. Where I do think there is a constitutional argument to be made, as you correctly point out, is in the right to equality. But the right to equality is a, a, a right that exists around externalities that don't, at least on the face of it, include poverty. And in a way, that's what we're seeing in this country. We're seeing the criminalization of people because they're poor. And let's think about what happened, what led, in part, to the massacre. The fact is that you had miners and mine-affected communities deeply anguished by their living conditions. I, I think a lot of the discussion has been obfuscated about the wage they were asking for. It's, it's what John Brand calls the social wage, it's a standard of living and a dignity that is commensurate with being human and, and more importantly, or as importantly, with the type of work that's being conducted. And so they tried. They tried through their trade unions. They tried through negotiations. They tried through protests. And ultimately, they tried through what was then an illegal strike. And at that point, when nothing else is left to a mine-affected communities and to the laborers, to indicate their deep and, frankly, justifiable dissatisfaction with the status quo, what happens? They become the criminals. And what, in many ways, this has been replicated through the, the government's failure to, to fund their representation at the Commission of Inquiry. And we saw this right from the beginning. We saw 
the imperative from civil society, from the Human Rights Commission, and from under past and Mauritania Solidarity campaign, all speaking about the need for psychosocial support, the need for involvement, if you will, the need for Ubuntu. And the idea that I am because you are, because we need to exist, coexist together. How is it possible then that you can't make every effort to get those people who are affected by the events, who live with it every day, to be full, flourishing, and supported participants in this commission of inquiry? And let me just mm-hmm. ask you and the listeners and others out there, why is it? that a year on from the massacre, there has not been a single police officer who has had to stand account. The Lonman mine has not had a single individual who has had to stand to account. And the trade unions, but for the disputes between the two competing trade unions, have not had to stand up and and, and give account. And yet the only people who continue to be overviewed and and in many cases harassed by the state are the mine-affected communities themselves. If I was living there, I would have deep anguish about this. We're taking your calls on 0891 to help us answer this question. Should the state fund legal representation for the miners, uh, Marikana miners and their families? 0891 If you'd like to send us SMS, you can use this hotline number 34701, 34701 to Raj per SMS. And we are available on Twitter as well. Our Twitter handle at AMLive on SAFM. We'll return in just a moment. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights, and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. Every day, millions of real people work hard to shape their futures, and we work hard to help make those futures real. At Real People, we provide responsible finance for you to build or improve your home, secure an education for your family, or grow your business. We help you manage your debt and meet your commitments on your journey to financial wellness and a sustainable future. Real People, for real people taking charge of their futures. Responsible finance, sustainable futures. Real People is an authorized financial services and credit provider. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. We're taking your calls on 0891 The question we're asking is whether or not the state or government should fund the legal representatives of the Marikana miners and their families. Uh, we on the line to Benita Mayersfeld, Associate Professor and Director, Centre for Applied Legal Studies at Fitz School of Law, as well as Lawson Naidu, Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, TASAC. Let me come back to you, Mr. Naidu. Now, if we're to look at this in context, should we not go back to the reasons behind establishing a commission of inquiry, a judicial commission of inquiry, and just in line with international best practice? I mean, they are actually separated from other state organs or services. But uh, if there's a division between government, the legislature, executive, and the judiciary, a commission of inquiry, what is the purpose of it? Is it to influence policy? Is it to be uh, uh, an agent that is different from other government agents or 
uh, statutory bodies that would inform government what, what is what what is the reason for them if we're still going to have contentious issues such as this in order for it to do what it's supposed to do uh, that's a very very important question to please and I think it's, we must use the opportunity of of looking at this particular crisis that we face to look at at the functioning of, of such commissions of inquiry uh, for the future of South Africa. I think the point that you make is, is critical. That, you know, a, a, a commission of inquiry plays a very, very important role and provides an important mechanism in a democratic society. As you say, it falls outside the traditional organs of, of government, of the state, uh, of the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary. It is a quasi-judicial body, yes. Uh, it has some of the... Um, uh, the, the modes of, of, a, of a judicial process, but it is, it, is, it, it is primarily an investigative body. And it can be set up to, in, in the case of the Marikana inquiry, to look at a, a specific uh, incident and to try and un- uh, investigate what happened and, and uncover the, the facts of, of that incident. It can also be used by, by, uh, by government uh, in order to, to examine policy options, to, to set up a commission of inquiry to look at, at, at policy options in, 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 uh, on, a, on a range of issues or on a particular issue, and for government to then take a decision based on the expert evidence that would have been presented to such a commission. Uh, so it plays a very, very critical role, and I think we, we now need to reflect on how best uh, those commissions can serve a, a purpose within the South African context. You also mentioned the issue of international best practice. Now, there is, uh, there, there is um, practice in other countries where, which make it possible for the Commission itself to request funding for its work, either directly uh, from, uh, to, to government directly or directly even to the Treasury to say that in order to execute our mandate, this is the budget that we require. So perhaps that is, that is uh, something that we need, to, we need to look at as we move forward from this. Let us also look at the issue of how long these commissions take. Uh, we, as we've mentioned now, the Marikana Commission has been sitting for a year. We've had the, the, the Arms Deal Commission that has been in place for two years and has only just begun uh, public hearings. Uh, and we therefore need to look at, at the process of these commissions of inquiry. They've taken on the, um, perhaps too, far too much of an inquisitorial rather than, uh, oh, sorry, an accusatorial rather than an inquisitorial or investigative role. Surely there should be a greater involvement of the evidence leaders rather than uh, uh, being led by the, uh, by the legal representative, representatives of the parties in order to, to, uh, to condense the process and enable results to be more speedily achieved. 0891104208. On the line from Vitbank, James, you say the unions should fit the bill. Why, James? Good morning. Good morning. Yes, definitely the union should. These minors, they paid union fees, so the union, they, they should pay, not taxpayers' money. Thank you very much. James, before you go, could you tell us why? Can you explain to us why you have this view? Why these minors, they paid union fees, so let the unions pay. Okay. J- James and Fitbank, Gift in Port Elizabeth, the state is not liable to pay gift. Uh, you can go ahead. Hi, Gift. Hi, Titi. So, mm-hmm. look, I think fair of the matter is that the Fulham Commission is not a court. Secondly, the commission is not a civil or criminal case. Thirdly, there are three provisions in the Bill of Rights that explicitly entitle someone to claim legal representation 
at, at the state expense. One, one provides that a, a, a child has the right to have a legal representation assigned to him or her by the state at state expense in civil proceedings. I think that's the first one, affecting the child. If substantial injustice will otherwise result, another is that everyone who is detained by the right has the right to have legal representation assigned to him or her by the state at the state expense if substantial injustice will otherwise result. The third one is that every uh, South African, including people in South Africa, has got the right to have a legal representation assigned to him by the state in a circumstance if substantial injustice would otherwise result. This does not apply in this Falam Commission. So the applicants in this case, Sepisa, uh, uh, were neither the children nor detained. What, 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 the point that I want to make is that if you are doing your research, Advocate Dalimpo, who made an announcement last year that uh, he and his team will be prepared to, to volunteer services free of charge to to stand in charge for those people affected by the Marikana uh, tragedy. Why now all of a sudden he's claiming money from the state? Gift, I sympathize with those families. If I could just interrupt you, if you're talking about research, part of that was the understanding that the Commission of Inquiry would extend to a certain period. That's overlapped now, and they say they've run out of funds. So that's the question we're asking, whether or not the state should foot the bill. I'm going to move on now. I'll Al, in the Eastern Cape, uh, you said it's shocking that the miners' fees aren't being paid by government. Why, Al? Hi, Al. Hello, Tabitha. Sorry, I missed that. I uh, went around the corner there. Just repeat the question, Tabitha. No, but we're just asking whether or not the state should foot the bill. Well, Tabitha, I think, first of all, it's a, it really is a shocking state of affairs that in this day and age we've got miners that have been, that have been killed I mean, they really are, I think those guys are working under, under very, very difficult conditions. Their, their living, their living conditions are absolutely shocking. If you see images of where they live, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. And I cannot, I cannot for the life of me understand why the government cannot see fit to actually fulfill the bill for the lawyers that are representing the miners. I mean, how can it be? What are we talking about? We're not, it's, it's, we're not talking about billions of rand. We're talking about, I don't know, a few million rand. Surely, surely they've got the police, the police who perpetrated the violence. They were the ones, the police actually murdered those people in absolute cold blood. I know that a couple of the police did get, did get, get murdered as well. That was very unfortunate. It was a, vol- a volatile affair, but it's an act. It's, it really okay. is scandalous that the police have paid representation and the miners don't. I mean, what sort of a society? Right. Okay, I'll, I think I think I don't know what happened there. I, we may have lost you, but uh, we'll be taking more calls. Oh eight nine one one oh four two oh eight. Send us SMS on three four seven zero one. Right now, let's update your news headlines with Fabachni Chetty. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 25 minutes to 9, we're continuing with our discussion. The question we're asking on the forum this morning is, uh, should government fund the legal representatives of the Maragana miners and their families? So we're in conversation with Bonita Meersfeld, Associate Professor and Director, Centre for Applied Legal Studies at Fitz Law School, also representing the South African Human Rights Commission, in this case, Lawson Naidu, Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution, CASAC. You are welcome to join us 
and uh, have this conversation with us. Let me come back to you, Professor Maxwell, on the issue of um, you know representation and back again to the issue of what the intentions of the commission are. Now we 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 have the attorneys of the. Representatives of family of the two officers who died, who have also withdrawn because they say that they don't have funding. Any the funding that they were given was through Pop Crew James earlier on saying that the unions should be funding uh, the legal representatives. But I, I wonder if I'm not mixing apples and oranges and kiwis here, but we also have former President uh, Tabombegi withdrawing from the Arms Commission, saying that unless the state reviews its stance on funding, that it needs to provide him with legal representation or funding for... Is there a similarity? Does this present an opportunity to perhaps review the law? If the law says that uh, no person may be unfairly discriminated against, does this first fall under the discrimination and is it as a result of legislation? Yeah, I, I think it would, one has to tread carefully around the source of this obligation to mm. provide legal funding. I, I think that you have instances where people who, who have the necessary financial wherewithal to pay for their legal representation in a, uh, appropriate situations ought, ought to do so. I think that the difficulty that I have is that it's part of a pattern of a systemic silencing of impoverished people. And, and let me give you a very practical example of this. The Commission of Inquiry, any Commission of Inquiry, we've said this many times this morning, its objective is to find truth, right? This is not just truth in the abstract sense. It's truth about what actually happened. And if you take the crucial 30 minutes that occurred between scene one and scene two in August last year, there are only two parties who can actually tell us what happened there. The one party is the police, and the other party are the people who were actually shot and killed. Now, if the, if the latter, the people who were shot at, if they're not there, then we're only going to get one side of the story, which is, by definition, uh, going to impede the revelation of truth. So that brings us to, I think, three considerations in answer to your question about should the law be amended. And is there an opportunity to amend the law? And I, and I agree with both you and Dawson that this is an opportunity to review how we engage commissions of inquiry. But there are three categories here. The first category is the category of practicality. The Constitutional Court has said this. You've said this. Lawson has said this. Every single party before the commission of inquiry has said this. And several of your, or your callers have said this. It's practical. If you want to get this done properly, fund it properly. And I do think we've limped along in this Commission of Inquiry. We had no idea how long it would take. I personally was of the view at the very beginning that four, four months would never happen. So, so we didn't plan it properly, but I don't think that's anybody's fault in particular. But yes, if you're going to extend it and you're going to use this as a lens through which you are analyzing the truth, then it has to be properly resourced, practical. The second consideration is the, is the consideration of an amorphous notion of fairness. There is a basic principle that every party must be heard before any dispute. There's a fancy Latin name for it, but it boils down to fairness. And if you were to take the most simple human complaint, my next-door neighbor is 
making a noise. The person who lives down the road from me is um, making food that, that smells bad. Whatever the conflict is, you want to hear both sides. Why not hear? And that's the heart of it. That's the root of it. That there's a, and I think that's what's making people very angry, is that we're not speaking to an absolute fairness. And the third is this discomfort, frankly, around lawyers' fees, who should be paying, and the legal process. And, and here is the unhappy truth. Law, legal investigations, they're all blunt instruments. You want to get to the truth, you do it in several different ways. One of them is the law. It's not the best, it's not the most appropriate, but it certainly is there. And the Commission of Inquiry was set up to be different from a court, right? So that you could have different rules, different methods of engaging with each other. Uh, and you've referred, and others have referred to overseas standards. There is no better standard for a Commission of Inquiry than our own uh, in, the, in the TRC process. We've got it right there for the most part. And we stand now, and we see that our Commission of Inquiry has become overly legalistic, and that really we need to inject this humanity, fairness, and a sense of Ubuntu back into this inquiry. Mr. Lawson, when setting up the commissions and its functions, I'd imagine that part of that is ensuring the interests of individuals or affected groups, but also ensuring that they are appropriately safeguarded. Would this include the issue of funding? And does the Constitution say anything regarding that with regards to how to interpret that? Look, I mean, I think you know, we've had this uh, uh, engagement now about the, the legal issues, and I think uh, Bonita, you know, summed it up very, very concisely and well, um, and you have as well. I mean, I think the issue is, you know, we need to you know, address the issue beyond the, the confines of, of a legal obligation to, to fund uh, participants in, in a commission of inquiry. I think that there's a greater moral and political argument to be made that of inclusivity of hearing all the parties, and as uh, Bonita has now uh, said again, these were critical material witnesses. These were the, the, the miners who were on the copy on the day that uh, the massacre took place. There can be no better person to provide a perspective of, of what took place. And uh, if we're going to get caught up in, 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 in uh, a, a detailed technical legal argument as to whether or not they're entitled to legal representation, we're going to undermine... Uh, the effectiveness of the Commission of Inquiry. I think the, the, the issue uh, of fairness, of Ubuntu, as Benita called it, these are issues that, 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 that's got to override any te legal uh, technical considerations. So whether the Constitution does provide, uh, provide uh, an avenue for, for making this argument, I think a, a broad legal argument and moral argument on the basis of the principles of the, of the Constitution, of transparency, of accountability, of openness, is, is what a Commission of Inquiry mm. uh, uh, sh should portray to the, to, but, to but the, does the, the issue nation of, at large. But does the issue of safeguarding the interests of individuals or affected group not fall within that? I think uh, what I'm asking here does uh, at some point surpass the legal constraints. Well, I think in, in the case of, the, of these particular miners that we are talking about, as, as I mentioned right at the beginning, they have this, uh, this murder charge still hanging over their heads. So they, they are therefore uh, absolutely entitled to have proper legal representation so that, you know, their, their contribution uh, to, to the inquiry, uh, you know, does not negatively impact on them in any way. So they are in a particularly precarious situation and need to have their rights protected even more, um, more so. 
So I think that, that you know, that it is implicit that, that they must have their rights protected and they cannot be prejudiced by participating in a commission of inquiry. 891 should the state uh, fund the Margana legal representatives? This is a question we're asking, 891 uh, Dennis Bloom on the line, you say it's important that government foots the bill wide, yes? Uh, good morning, Sebiso, and uh, your guest there. Good morning. You know, I, I want to start by saying, yes, it is very important. But I also want to say, cry, my beloved country. We never knew that this day in South Africa will come. Where the state wants to hide the truth. You know, this thing of Marikana will turn out like the Tatani case, where the police, everybody has seen the police kill Tatani. But because the family is poor, nobody can, can stand for the family, the police scot-free. I can tell you now, Sebiso, that is the way that this, this case of Marikana will, 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 will go. It is very important. We must look back what happened in this country. You see, few years ago, the current president was charged with corruption and uh, maladministration and everything. The state paid for his legal representation. Millions of rents of taxpayers' money went there. Why are we not uh, uh, doing the same to these poor mine workers okay. who really need help? Thank Why you. are we saying this, this case is different from that of the president? Dennis Blue? Why? All right. Thank, thanks a lot. I think there, there's a problem in terms of reception there. Lee in Johannesburg, you say government should foot the bill. It's all our money. Why? Because it comes from taxpayers' money, including that of the miners on every single thing they've bought except fresh food. They have contributed to the money that is paying for the defense of the police against them, as are we. Right, thanks a lot. Government Lee. money is taxpayers' money. Thanks, Lee. Sebastian in Cape Town, for fairness of outcome, government should foot the bill, you say? Yes, definitely, and my reasons for saying that are as follows. The Fallen Commission will produce an outcome, a report of some, which will say something or other. Now, that will have impacts and usages beyond the life of the Commission. Uh, let me stipulate three arenas. One will be uh, in the impossibility of criminal cases, which be, can be cases against the minors and can be cases or no cases against the police if they are guilty perpetrators or not. Then there's the matter of civil claims for damages. Then there's also, the, thirdly, the matter of reputational uh, damage. Um, now, all those are affecting the minors. Now, if they're not able to be given proper representation uh, in the Farlem Commission, then there's a likelihood or a possibility that the report of the uh, Commission will not be uh, fair to them, uh, and that will affect those three areas of outcome that are outlined. Thanks, Sebastian. And uh, Yaj in Cape Town? Good morning, Yaj. Morning, uh, Chipiso. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to agree with your guest that the state must fund uh, the, the Marikana miners. It's, it's, a, it's a moral question. This is the most brutal atrocity committed against people in this country. 
And Marikana is a watershed in the post of, in the history of post-apartheid South Africa. It's an indictment on our society, and it is absolutely outrageous that this government cannot fund the, 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 the legal costs of these mine workers. They can spend money on, uh, you know, millions on overseas holidays, traveling in big fancy cars, at taxpayers' expense, flying all over the world, and they can't do this. It's, it's disgusting. Thanks, Yaj. Yaj in Cape Town, 891 You can give us a call on this number. This one is not signed. It says, in the spirit of Ubuntu, the legal reps should act pro bono, or is money more important than the truth? Chat in Cape Town says, the Concord decision is morally repugnant. The state must fund the legal costs of Marikana workers. This one says, ideally, the state should be funding the miners, but clearly, legally, as the Concord is ruled, the state is not obliged. That's the dilemma. However, the law is changeable. Nati says on Twitter, Nati Tina Dwayi says, uh, how would the doctrine of separation of powers likely to influence the High Court's decision in order in ordering the executive funding? Authorized. So why should all these mind games amend all acts to suit society needs and rights? And uh, Tulalis Banda writes on SMS, donation money is available for the Swazi King's wife to shop in New Zealand for Zim, President's wife to buy shoes in Hong Kong for Cuba to neglect feeding our student doctors, but no funds available for Marigana. In Soweto, Humphrey writes, we, the taxpayers want the state to cover the legal fees for Margana miners and uh, families. And Alison in East London says, as I understand it, all miners belong to a trade union. Why do they not fund their legal fees? Professor Mansfield, let's go back to that issue. There is a view that perhaps the money should not... Uh, I mean, we've, we've dealt with the issue of obligation by the state, but... Uh, Perhaps maybe pointedly the question is uh, how does a decision arise as to who funds what? I mean, the legal uh, aid board, they were at some point, uh, that, that was part of this court case and it was found that they're not obliged to. But why do you have a legal aid board or what does the act say on who qualifies? And, and the, the question was raised earlier on by Dennis Bloom as to if the state can fund uh, civil servants or presidents, etc., why would it not fund individuals like uh, those affected by the Marikana tragedy? Yeah, I think there are a couple of issues that have arisen <clears throat> and are captured in your question. The one is, there are several repositories of power here, aren't there? It's not just the state that we're talking about and its obligations um, vis-a-vis paying fees. It's, it's also the trade unions, and then we've omitted completely to talk about the role of Lonman itself. Now, a, a, a request was made to Lonman to ask Lonman to cover the legal fees of the mine, uh, mine affected community and those families who were affected by the, um, the massacre. They declined. They declined. I think there's a moral question there as well. There's a massacre in your land, on your mine, and you are asked to help with the compensation of legal fees and refuse, where does that repository of power leave us? And I think it's quite well captured. If, I, if you're amenable, I could read paragraph 15 of the Constitutional Court's yes, judgment on this, which says that it may be that it would be commendable and fairer to the applicants that they be afforded legal representation at state expense in circumstances where state organs are given these privileges and where mining corporations are able to afford the huge legal fees involved. And it goes on to talk about the practicality involved in this, but that you really are looking, it's not a shortage of money, and that we've got to be clear about. 
And Marikana, in a way, represents a number of these games we seem to be playing, right? It's the blame game. It wasn't, it wasn't London, it was the trade unions. It wasn't trade unions, it was the cops. It wasn't the cops, it was the mine-affected communities and the miners. And these blame games have to stop. They have to come an end to it. And if we think about that community, there are five entities who are absolutely fundamental to the production of mineral wealth in, in any mine. And those are the people with enough money to fund it, so your banks and your financial institutions. It then means your, the second role player, the mines themselves, who manage and who are able to carry out the mining operations. You then cannot do this work without government because they're the repositories of the, of the resources. And then there are two final seminal players, namely the miners themselves and the mine-affected communities. You take any one of those players out and you cannot mine. And yet the benefits from that mining are so disproportionately allocated after the, the, the wealth has been extracted from the mine. And I share a lot of your, your call of sentiments about the deep anguish that we're not talking about a lot of money in a context in which there is money and we're boiling it down to some type of principle. What is the principle? Well, is there a legal obligation to pay for the fees or not? Lawson has said it, you've said it, and your callers have said it. It's, it's, there's not only a, a possible legal uh, obligation that one could argue into the Constitution, but the entire Constitution itself is, in fact, premised on this notion that we want a society that replicates something a lot more nuanced and a lot fairer than the kind of 18th century, uh, frankly, slave-type labor situation that we're seeing at the moment. Mr. Naidu, if we're to assume that uh, there's a growing complexity in terms of society and the inevitable conflicts that arise and uh, inquiries assist in resolving these, and what we're seemingly seeing is that commissions of inquiry are becoming a regular machinery of a government, how do we improve access to justice then? Well, I think, you know, on the issue of, of commissions of inquiry, I think, you know, we're beginning to see uh, certain perceptions that the commissions are set up in order to fudge issues rather than what they were actually designed to do, which is to get to the truth. And I think in order to, to overturn that, we, you know, we need to make sure that the, the two uh, commissions that are, are working at the moment, the Farlem Commission as well as the Armsdale Commission, are able to execute their functions and to provide some kind of answers to the, to the questions that society has been asking uh, of for a very, very long time. And, you know, this, uh, you know, and I think in, in the case of the Maritana Commission, the Fallen Commission, uh, people are beginning to question the commitment of the government to get to the truth. Uh, you know, as you call it, as I said, we're not talking about a, a huge amount of money. It's a, it, is a, it is about a question of a political and moral commitment to, to actually... Uh, get to the truth of, of, of what the mandate of the, of the Commission uh, uh, compels it to do. And if we're not going to make those resources available, then we're not going to get to those answers, and perhaps it is convenient not to get to those answers, which is, you know, which is, which is the perception that is beginning to take root in society at the moment. And we, we need to overturn this because it, it will be, in the long term, very, very damaging to our society if we believe that... Uh, that structures that are such as this are, are set up for, for nefarious purposes. And I think that, that that issue of the commitment 
of government to the victims of the Marikana massacre is also called into question by the fact that government did not attend and participate in the commemoration activities that took place uh, last Friday uh, on the pretext that they were not uh, organized by government, yet government itself did not organize any commemorative events, and on the basis that the event itself was organized by what was called an illegitimate group. I mean, this is language that is uh, reminiscent of, of our dark days in apartheid when, uh, when organs of our community organs were, were, were labeled in, in such ways. So I think, you know, the, the commitment uh, to, to get to the truth, to treat people with dignity and to treat uh, all sectors of society as having a contribution to make towards, uh, towards our democracy and, and, and towards, in this particular case, uncovering the truth of what happened on that day, as one of your callers very uh, uh, aptly described, the start day in our democratic history. Just uh, a few quick callers before we wrap up. Anthony and Adrian, if uh, you'll allow me to ask you to please be as brief as you can. Anthony and Tank Korea, you say, why the need for lawyers? Yeah, you know, obviously if this did go subsequently to a criminal or civil case, then the state would be obliged to fund uh, lawyers. And that's become clear. But as you said, the um, commission is a search for truth. And what I don't understand is why can the commission, in the way it's set up, they've got clever people, Farlam and his assessors and all the other people there, why are they not able to interact with the witnesses and the players without the lawyers? Because they are people who are legally trained. They know what to do. They can be fair to all the players. Uh, because in my observation, the lawyers that are there just up, they, they drag things out interminably, especially uh, Dali and Pofo. Uh, they come at a huge cost. I'm sure that Dali and Pofo and his team cost over 100,000 rand a day. And yet, and yet the, the witness, the, the, the commission itself, could be doing that interrogation. That's what they set up to do. So why do they need lawyers on any side? Okay. That's Thanks, my question. Sir. Thanks, sir, Anthony. Adrian and George, unions must organize uh, themselves to pay, you say? First of all, the state... Uh, is there to serve the interests of the good citizen of the nation. Secondly, the SAPS is an organ of the state, there to protect the good citizen of the nation. Self-regulation is unacceptable. But we should have, both for the state and for the, the uh, unions, where people are acting in a dispute, there should be public liability insurance to cover such things as these, so that people don't fall through in between. Thanks. The judiciary must be independent above politics and serve the good citizen, not act as a self-perpetuating mercenary parasitic body. We have to act and use our constitution or we'll lose it. Always we must act in the spirit of the intent of the constitution. Thank you, Adrian. And just to reading two, three SMSs before we wrap up, Aidan says the trade union should and must pay. And this one says, ideally, the state should be funding the miners, but clearly, legally, uh, the state is not obl- obliged. The dilemma, however, the law is changeable. Okay, we read that one. The SAPS and miners have someone to speak for them, but who speaks for the slain security guard who was murdered by the very same miners, says Mulatelo. And Sechero Mutalento Mokosi says the TRC state paid lawyers for those known to have committed human atrocities during a bad date. Why this commission is different. Uh, just in 30 seconds, if I could just get uh, your closing uh, statements from both of you, starting with you, Professor. Um, I think that you've hosted um, a show and there's been a discussion around the law, a very useful and important discussion, but there's a moral question here which has a resounding, uncomplicated answer, and that is we need the truth to come out, and there is no debate about that whatsoever. And the only way to do so is if everybody has an opportunity to be heard. Mr. Lawson? 
Um, the Ms. government Knighty. instituted this commission of inquiry. The government has a responsibility to ensure that all parties are heard at this inquiry. Thank you very much to both of you for taking the time to join us. Wilson Naidu, Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of South African Constitution. And thank you to Benita Maysvold, Associate Professor and Director, Center for Applied Legal Studies at Fitz Law School. Thanks to the team. Tracy Bumgard and Zwaki Kruk, Wenzegile and Tlachia, Senior Producer, Slingiwa Mabaso, Technical Producer, Mark Prela and Izzy Padayachi, Foreign Producers, Ronald Piri and Jake Mukoma, Chief Producer, Wutzila Kota, Executive Producers, Busi Chani and Obre Sejia. From myself, Sipi Suman and Makweka and the team, thanks for listening. Goodbye.